and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Red Carpet Coup d'etat edition. It's Friday, March 11th, and I'm Miriam Ibrahim, your Press Gallery host and a legislature reporter for the Journal. Joining me in the newsroom studio today are city columnist Paula Simons. Good morning, Miriam. Who is finally back after a two-week absence. I know you all missed her. <laughs> and, and I know I all missed you. <laughs> Uh, and a very special welcome back to Press Gallery founder and former host Sarah O'Donnell, who is back to writing editorials at the Journal and spent some time under the dome this week to cover the start of session. Hi, Miriam. It's uh, very strange to be on this side <laughs> of the desk, so we'll see how often I try to turn the questions back oh, on you. Oh, battle of the hosts. Okay, well, it was quite a week at the legislature as MLA's returned to Edmonton for the start of the session. Premier Rachel Notley came under fire for hiring away a former top AUPE negotiator to be her own government's new chief advisor on labor relations. Critics say this is at least a perceived conflict of interest, if not a real one, but the government says they've just hired the best man for the job. We'll dissect the appointment. Then the legislature's opening day didn't quite start out the way the new Democrat government had hoped when a seemingly simple vote went quickly awry, prompting the government house leader to apologize. But first, let's start at the natural starting point, the very beginning of session with the speech from the throne. Uh, It happened to coincide with International Women's Day, an occasion marked by the government in different ways, uh, along with the long-promised coup d'etat led by George Clark of Albertans First. So last week we talked about uh, the fact that this throne speech wouldn't really be as sunny uh, as the first NDP throne speech, which was read during the summer, shortly after they won um, government last year. Graham and his column uh, uh, this week sort of said that this was going to be the government's first real throne speech. Paula, is that how you think it sort of turned out? I mean, we we seem to get quite a bit more detail and direction, I guess, from this one than than the one we saw last year. You know, it would be impossible for it to have been as sunny as the Sunny Ways one of last summer, where they were riding high on just having won this unexpected majority government, because this time they're staring into the abyss. And everybody has to know that with oil prices cratering as they are, this is going to be an extremely difficult next 18, 24 months in this province. So, you know, I'm always cynical about throne speeches. I think that they are far more uh, symbolic than they are substantive. I mean, there were some interesting things in there about, you know, regulating payday loan companies, some specifics, but you shouldn't look for specifics in a throne speech. It's the overture. Here's what I thought was interesting about this throne speech. And and Graham, like you said, it talked about this was going to be the NDP government's first throne speech. One of the things that we as an editorial board talked about afterwards as we looked at all all the various components of it was how it didn't include so many of the things that you would actually expect from an NDP throne speech. Hmm. Very little focus on education, very little focus on health care. I mean, like, almost like nothing I said, on yeah, healthcare. yeah, the word health care or health was three times. The, as a, the education appeared twice and it was very much in the terms of we will maintain these services. Instead, what this speech really, really focused on was that economic development issue. And it just yes. showed you how very, very bad things have gotten when an NDP throne speech didn't include references specifically to childcare, social programs, all these kinds of things that would be NDP bread and butter because they talk about preserving them. But that's where that ended. And then the rest of it was all economic development and jobs and 
potential efforts to create jobs. Yeah, and it's interesting, actually. I think one of the things that came closest to that was this uh, family tax benefit, the child benefit that's going to be kicking in the summer. That's not new. We've heard about that yeah, already in the exactly. previous budget. There didn't seem to be, as you say, a real strong sort of message around those sort of, I guess, traditional values. Or, yeah, and of new the programs. You, that you, They absolutely did mention that child tax credit. Like you said, that had been previously announced. It was mentioned again, but sort of as a confirmation yes you know things have gotten bad but we're still going to keep this here for you because now you really do need it Uh, sort of that was the message that we got exactly it was framed in the context of the economy not in the context of social justice or social development that's right and and i think i think that's really true i mean it was all about darren billis's uh initiatives for you know economic diversification which is you know a difficult conjuring act i mean uh you know i i was away when uh, when don getty died and when the don getty funeral took place but you know with don getty very much on people's minds we remember how badly this went the last time our economy cratered and the government tried to diversify it, it is not easy to magically decide that, well you know having coasted on energy prices for this long we can suddenly become you know, uh, figure out which industries are going to be our future. Uh, it's a very long-term and a high-risk thing. It's not something that's going to pay easy dividends for them. Well, and they've gotten themselves into a bit of trouble because Bill 1, which was introduced this week in the legislature, which was uh, referred to um, as well on, on Throne Speech Day as the government's you know, the, the first bill that they were going to introduce, and it was going to be focused on economy and diversification uh, and its, and its bill, is, it bill. And it doesn't really say anything at all. It sort of just gives him the authority to do these kinds of thing in the future. I thought that was interesting because the government normally it's it's bill one as a as a it's showcase piece of legislation, the thing that it really wants to hang its hat on. And and, and this one seemed to be kind of fell flat, I think. Yeah, it's as we know, legislation is a framework. So I wonder what will be often, you know, we see very broad strokes and things like an education act or things like that. And then the devil be, is in the details of the regulation. So yes, that which is, we learned yeah. in, in the Bill 6 uh, protest. <laughs> so days. that's where, you know, the, the legislation itself, you, you do sometimes wonder about that. I guess the, the one way that this was an NDP throne speech was on that economic development and more of a hands on approach. They they weren't just saying, well, we'll let everything take care of itself. And you were sitting beside me when Rachel, when the premier made the comment about she's not going to do nothing. What was that? I can't remember the exact quote, but she, she talked about it. She basically said, um, she she was saying this in response to a question she had got about sort of, you know, your critics are going to say that you're, you're, you're meddling, you're, 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 this is too much sort of interventionism in, in, in the economy and you should sort of stand back and, and cut the red tape and the bureaucracy and do let, let things happen. And she said the reason we are at where we're at now is because of a do-nothing approach by the previous government, she said, where they did sit back too much and just let things sort of regulate themselves and there wasn't enough uh, government direction in helping um, you know companies innovate or find uh, ways to diversify that uh, economic base. And so it, she really seemed to be saying we're here because of poor choices that were made by the past which we've heard of of course it's yes a, and, and, and yet argument. in another way it is it is back to the future it's don getty it's Al- peter lougheed i mean although you know, graham was i will invoke graham thompson once more because he was very because quick he's, he's homesick he was so. very quick to remind me when i made a very similar comparison when i was talking to him that it's not exactly the same because under getty i guess there was actual 
picking of the yes. companies. They invested yes. in specific companies. They right. invested in gainers. They invested in a specific uh, phone company, that, that yeah. sort of thing. Whereas what he's saying here they are doing is putting it, giving kind of pots of money. I don't know if that's the right <laughs> bags of go. money uh, to different organizations like ATB yeah. for loans Arms or the, not the Alberta itself. Enterprise Fund, which made me actually want to know what, what has the Alberta Enterprise Fund funded in the past? These are the kinds of th questions that yeah. I've been I mean, wondering. It, it, it is much more a Lockheed so, model. Yeah, so it's a little different in that respect. I And, and I, also I through AIMCO, which people yeah. are sort of familiar with already in terms of, of, of its uh, uh, investments. But you know, but this was Lockheed's vision, right? That you take the money from the good times, from the heritage fund and you'd put it into venture capital and you'd put it into health research and scientific research. Uh, that is easier to do though when you're doing it in boom times and have lots of money. It's much harder to do when you're, you know, have no money. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I do wonder though, did it need a bill? What they're doing? That, I, that's the one question. Well, I that's did, the question a lot of people of this, have. Would this have taken a bill? So I guess those questions can be answered. I have to ask more to it's answer only that. week one. Yeah. We've got <laughs> many more weeks to go. Um, well, I do I do want to quickly sort of just touch on the fact that, so, so as I mentioned off the top, the, the throne speech day coincided with International Women's Day, I'm sure by design um, of the government. They definitely made a point to acknowledge it at the top of the throne speech. What delighted a lot of people was new mom uh, and cabinet minister Stephanie McLean brought her newborn baby Patrick into the legislature and then was later scrumming with him sort of strapped to her. Uh, Paul, I just sort of want to get your take on how significant this is for Alberta. That that imagery, I guess, just by itself. It was charming. It was adorable. And I think all of us in the newsrooms who were mothers were thinking to ourselves, yeah, you enjoy that now because newborns are strangely easier than six-month-olds. I mean, there's a finite amount of time that you can put a happy baby in a snuggly and go to question period with Bobo strapped to your, to your front. Um, it is not going to be easy for Stephanie McLean to do this um, so far she's managing nicely and I hope she's got lots of help and support at home because it is a difficult conjuring act to be a new mom and a cabinet minister but Patrick behaved beautifully um, you know it, it, it you know all, all of us who are mothers could only wish for such happy sleepy babies <laughs> making public appearances <laughs> Yeah, I I thought that it I thought that it was an important step. I think that it does show that there there is it's a reminder and yet another way that it's making it a little bit easier for younger people to ha men and women to consider this life and this calling you know, serving the public in the legislature. And I think in some ways it's only fair. I mean, you guys have had to deal at different points. Not everybody can take their kid to work because mm -hmm. it's not always easy, but there are some workplaces where, you know, after daycare closed, I would sometimes be writing a story and there would one of my kids be zooming <laughs> around the room as mom tried to hit deadline. I think once I had a sick kid and I had to take my sick kid in a stroller to interview Education Minister Dave Hancock. So why not? If the reporters sometimes have to <laughs> drag a kid in tow, why should the cabinet minister? No, occasionally be able to as well. I remember one day when my nanny was sick and I had to bring my toddler to interview Iris Evans and See, and uh, and she was absolutely delightful and she gave my daughter she had these FAS dolls that were to demonstrate the the terrible impact of alcohol on the developing fetus so there were these all these malformed dolls and she gave them to my daughter to play with. Oh and wow. It was kind of creepily awesome That's as a I little she charming. was she was health minister at the time. Well, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that as the ceremony was going on inside, 
the long-awaited coup d'etat and TNDP rally was happening in front of the legislature. Paula, I know you were having a lot of fun with this on Twitter because <laughs> every time I checked in, I could see you quipping about something else. Obviously, they didn't overthrow anybody. No, you know, in some ways... In many ways, actually, I feel sorry for George Clark because this was supposed to be the climax of all of this anger that thousands of people were going to come to the legislature. And certainly he had a better turnout than his Walmart press event of a couple of weeks ago. But there weren't thousands of people there. It was a pretty small protest as protests go smaller, I think, than the Bill 6 protests we saw uh, in in the fall. Uh, And the people who were there didn't really all seem to quite understand what they were protesting. There were people there with signs in opposition to temporary foreign workers. There were people who were complaining about the uh, unemployment insurance program. Things that are are federal, things that are federal programs and not provincial ones. It was a bit like a sort of a, a swatered down version of a Donald Trump rally where lots of people who were angry, but not angry with a lot of focus and, and point to it. The sound of the day that came out of it was that radio interview from a caller to a, to a commercial... To K-97. Radio. Yeah, it, where the, the caller was talking about a protest and clearly did not have very much information about provincial government and it was it was actually a very sk- good interview because it, it that but that was the that was the guy who was wanting to protest against premier, premier natalie, natalie. Yeah. premier natalie i don't know what her name is i didn't vote for her right uh you know so it, it, i mean in some ways it's very easy to laugh at these people and yeah. you know to laugh when you see a, a parent who's got a sign in opposition to uh, gay-straight alliances, a sign that says, let the parents decide, spelled D-E-S-I-D-E. So everybody had a good snicker. And then I felt guilty about the good snicker because we're talking about people who... uh, who don't actually understand what's happening and who have been wound up and fed a bunch of half-truths and misinformation and they're there and they're angry and they're frightened and they don't even know what they're angry and frightened about. And instead of mocking them for the fact that many of them cannot spell, um, you know, which starts to get a bit mean-spirited. Right now it's the elites making fun of the peasants. Spelling mistakes happen to the best of us. Yes. Um, yes. I I will not (laughs) criticize that. So... I think we're going to have difficult. to see where this where this discontent is a year from now. And I know that's you say, well, let's brush off. Let's not to push it off. But I guess what happens a year from now? Will these be, they start with this kind of protest? We have in the past seen small protest movements grow and grow and grow and yeah. grow. So I'm going to be interested to see, do they stage another protest? How does this develop in coming years? And do any of the more conservative parties decide to... Uh, embrace this movement yeah i mean they haven't so far the wildrose i've been given to understand that the wildrose mlas were told very explicitly from their leader's office do not go near these people do not have your photo taken with them do not appear on the steps with them do not do not do not well okay so the coup d'etat came and went and the government continued and session continued oh yes i mean i suppose we should say i mean george clark did say that you know the government would fall uh, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't because I still had a job covering the, the, the government the next day. Um, didn't get to cover a revolution. And of course, they staged their big press event while most of the media was in a lockup so that it was only With snarky. the throne speech. Yeah. That's right. Well, it, it's okay. We continued. The session opened the next day. The government continued on. However, they did make a major fumble on the first 
sort of real uh, piece of business that they had before them, which was the election of the new deputy chair of committees to replace Richard Feehan, who had recently been appointed to cabinet. So it ended up becoming NDP MLA Heather Sweet, but not without a bit of chaos uh, beforehand. What happened, Paula? It's a funny thing. Normally, when you go into the chamber, the bells ring. It's like, you know, like recess at school and you hear the bell. And that's For most it. votes. And, that, and that's your signal. Yeah. But when you're electing, and this is sort of, you know, uh, parliamentary arcana that clearly not everybody, including NDP House Leader Brian Mason knows. Who when, is the longest serving MLA in yeah. the House right now. So when you're having this kind of vote for a committee chair, for whatever reason, you don't ring the bells. No. So as a result... The NDP, who some of whom, their members were very busy because Rachel Notley was speaking to the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association. I mean, it's not that they weren't working, but they were busy doing other things. And they didn't realize that they had to be in the chamber for the vote. And so when the vote was being called, the pages, uh, who were the so young the, high school volunteers, yeah. uh, said to them, you can't come in because... The it, way this vote works is that you you call the vote and the speaker says bar the doors and then you they, the pages do this symbolically with their their hands they hold the the handles of the doors and they stand in front of them and then no one is to enter or exit after the speaker says bar the doors. So the NDP panicked because yeah. they suddenly came out of the ether and went, oh, my God, we're not in the chamber and we're they're going to vote. And, oh, no, the Wild Rose might elect the deputy chair of the committee. It's not supposed to be a government job. I mean, anybody who wins Any the vote. MLA in the legislature. Yep. So the NDP. That would have been the worst thing in the world. No. So the NDP. It, was, it would have been very embarrassing. But it was very bad form because they barged through. They pushed past the pages who, as I say, are, you know, 15 and 16 year old volunteers who are there learning about civics. Uh, and, uh, you know, bullied their way in. And then there was this whole argument about, you know, should they be allowed to vote? Should they have to leave the chamber? Yeah. You know, how many of them were really there beforehand? How many of them pushed past? So in the end, it left a very, very bad taste. There was a re-vote in the end, actually, because yeah. they did, they disqualified the first vote. I'd never seen this happen before. This is, this is sort of where the whip comes into play, but the government had just recently appointed a brand new whip. It seemed to sort of give us a signal that the government was not as prepared as it no, should have been. They looked been. incompetent and they looked like bullies. And... They can't use the excuse anymore that they're a new government. It's almost been a year. They've had plenty of time, all of them, to get caught up on their procedure. You know, they should have been having Legislature 101. You know, their staff, you know, not just they the MLAs themselves, but their staff as well. They need to know what the agenda is every day, and they all need to know exactly where they need to be so yeah I thought it was a pretty disappointing moment for me and I think that I hope that in the rest of the session we don't see things like that because the pages you treat them like gold we all saw what happened when Ralph Klein threw a book book at a page they're gonna have to do some reputation improving yeah you know and this is this is the most insider of insider baseball yeah. i mean you know normal people do not care who normal gets to be elected what we're talking no, about <laughs> but, but you know what it would have cost them very little to be gracious and say you know what our bad you caught us out clever you let prasad pan to be the deputy chair of the of the committee i mean you know, would that be so awful? And instead, they looked like the worst kind of Ralph Klein bullies. You know, we're going to use our majority. We're going to throw our weight around. We're going to disrespect parliamentary institutions. It's not just disrespect for the pages. That's disrespect for the sergeant at arms and for the speaker who is a new Democrat. But it's a disrespect for the speaker's office. For the chair. And, yeah. we, and we acknowledge he apolo- you know, there were apologies issued yes. afterwards. And, you know, they did own up to uh, not their 
best behavior. Yeah. As Paula says, at the end of the day, this is not something that resonates with voters at yeah. all. Even for political nerds like us, I think, you know, in a couple of weeks, we won't really be thinking about it. But you got to think the government was hoping to start the first day without this chaos and an apology from the House yeah. leader. Yeah. Too many own goals. Yeah. <laughs> Very good sports metaphor there. Paula. I approve. Well, the Wild Rose has certainly been doing its uh, part to uh, hammer the premier over her recent appointment of a former top Alberta Union of Provincial Employees negotiator to be now her own government's chief negotiator um, for upcoming contract negotiations. Now, this has obviously prompted cries of a conflict of interest from the opposition who say that the AUP is going to be bargaining on both sides of the table now. But the government says that this guy is simply the best person for the job, respected um, by by people on both sides of the table, management and unions, um, and that this is really much ado about nothing, that this guy's going to, you know, get the best deal for Albert. Paula, you went on a, I know everyone's going to be super surprised by this, Twitter rant. Um, when oh you, my goodness, when you Paula heard went this, on a rant know, on Twitter? What? I know, it's like so shocking. Uh, when you learned about this, so... What about it immediately bothered you? The appointment of Kevin Devediak, who was a senior negotiator with AUP, to be in charge of public sector negotiations for the government. I mean, this is a man who's got lots of experience on both sides of the table, negotiating for management, negotiating for unions. To me, it's not so much an ethical question as it is what it looks like. Because... Perception is reality. Perception is reality. And on the day he was hired, he was still on the AUP website. Well, the turnaround time is quite clear. Like he resigned on Monday and then he was hired the next day. It's about the optics. Um, You know, because if you're a professional negotiator, like being a professional lawyer or a professional journalist, you can, you know, you can take both sides of an issue in theory. But what it looks like is that you hire away the AUP guy to negotiate with AUP. And I thought that Derek Fildebrandt of the Wild Rose had some very clever lines where he said, you know, either this is the fox guarding the hen house or this is very unfair to AUP. Because think about poor AUP. This guy knows all their strategies. And now he's working for the other side. It's terribly unfair to the public sector union, which I thought was quite clever of Fildebrandt. With I'm his, surprised he said with it, it with a straight face. Well, um, there was this whole sort of explosion of stuff on Twitter. The Wild Rose had a field day with this, which was my point. I mean, why why give them material Actually, it wasn't with just which the Wild to work? Rose. Some people who I think are typically more favorable of the government even were, were yeah. raising an eyebrow. I, Although I, there were others who were saying, like, no, this is not a problem. And, and I, I saw people who are who on Twitter who I would consider to be NDP partisans saying, I can't believe they did this. This is so stupid. Uh, not saying this is so evil or so unethical, but that this the optics of this are, are really nasty. And then after a couple of hours of this and of the premier's office vehemently insisting, uh, both privately and on Twitter, that there was nothing wrong with this, then Finance Minister Joe Sisi came out and said very belatedly, oh, no, 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 it's all going to be fine because he's going to recuse himself from any negotiations with AUP. And then you think to yourself, okay, then what is his job going to be? Yeah. I it, mean, there are other public sector unions, yeah, but are. AUP is is one of the big yeah, ones. Yeah, and I don't know that he, he even maybe meant that he wouldn't be involved in those negotiations. But he won't be sitting wholesale, at the but table. He won't be involved, yeah, and thinks very specifically. He'll be sort of the chief advisor, which is his title. It is, it is easy to jump on, and I get what you said, everything about the optics. He does have a lot of experience on both sides of the table. And he you, actually has more experience on the management side. Yeah, and you have to think that that everybody has the ability to go from one job representing one person to go to another job 
representing other interests. Journalists do that. They start at one media outlet, then they go to another media outlet and represent that media outlet's interests. So I I think that the stakes now will be very high. We could see an excellent deal because the government can't now not get a good deal from the union. That's the thing. Like, I wonder if they've sort of painted themselves into a corner where if they get anything except for wage freezes for the next couple of years, which is what the Wild Rose is going to demand, if not rollbacks, that they're they're in a real a real sort of quandary here. Paula, it, you seem to be really just surprised at the lack of sort of strategic thinking behind <laughs> that, this. You that you were even calling into question Brian Topp's judgment. Well, I mean, I'm calling into question Brian. I mean, Brian Topp is chi- as chief of staff. Chief of to staff, the premier. not just for this, but for a whole series of things uh, over the last three months that have just been really astonishing to me in terms of the way they've handled media. Um, you know, uh, a senior staffer from Rachel Notley's office called me that day to complain about what I'd said on Twitter, which is a a strategic blunder in and of itself, um, and, and B to say to me, "But everybody thinks this is a great idea." And I said, "Really? Is it your observation of the public response to this that everybody thinks this is a good idea? I mean, when you're going to do something like this, you have to take into consideration. Okay, we're going to do this. This is going to." be a a talking point for the wild rose so how do we get out in front of it if you're going to do something that has the potential to create this kind of firestorm you have to anticipate what the public reaction is going to be and get out ahead of it you can't let yourself be blindsided i mean the ndp's attitude seemed to be that anybody who questioned this that we must be daft that we must be you know and people were saying to me the next day you know demanding that i apologize and i thought apologize for saying that you played this strategically poorly and push I past the page i don't think so <laughs> uh, when i throw books at people then i'll apologize this has been a wonderful discussion i'm so glad sarah was able to join us for it it, it was wonderful but that's really all the time that we have for now but before we go Let's, of course, get some good stuff from the gallery, which is our weekly segment where we share something that we enjoyed reading or watching or listening to, which is usually but not always of a political nature. Sarah, let's start with you. What do you got? Oh, I'm so glad I get to share my nerdy thoughts with everybody again. This is wonderful because no one in the newsroom cares that I think everybody should read the Newfoundland speech from the throne. Yay! No. <laughs> If if one throne speech this week wasn't enough for you, here's another. But Sarah's but, got you covered. But here's why. It is because we, I think, feel here in Alberta that we are in some kind of unique circumstance. And I think we have heard, you know, this is, you know, this is, yeah, Saskatchewan's feeling a little bit of pain, but we feel like it's really bad here. Well, it turns out Newfoundland thinks they're in a lot of trouble, too. And they have a throne speech uh, that started also mentioned international women's day uh but also uh you know very starts with a scenic uh, picture of the uh, royal newfoundland regiment positioned uh in a particular spot in no man's land in world war one very very nice but then it goes on to talk about the the challenges they're facing with a whole sort of issues and i guess they are concerned about a their updated fiscal projection of a two billion dollar deficit wouldn't you just imagine? I mean, I doesn't a $2 billion deficit now feel like, well, that would be manageable, but a much smaller province. So I guess yeah. by scale, uh, that's true. That's a huge, that's a huge issue for, them. for not um, understanding math. We ex- do. Exactly. So, and then to, com- to complement that, I think it's really important to listen to a good interview that was done on The Current with Anna Maria Tremonti, who's been in Newfoundland, uh, with Kathy Bennett, who is their new finance minister and is trying to figure out 
what that province is going to do about its budget. It was um, a really good interview. I yeah. listened to it as well. And and it, it was it was interesting because it was sort of it just reminded it was yeah. like Alberta on a smaller scale. Absolutely. Like the, the the crashing oil revenues have hit them incredibly hard. There were definitely you could definitely hear though there's like a there's a politician playbook where they have like the the, 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 the economic downturn buzzwords cuz yeah. like I was like, "Oh, I've heard that one before." Yeah, heard that one too. Yeah. They they all they all definitely sing. So the I same guess song, we're not we're not alone in the boat is my point. No, we are not. Paula, what about you? And mine will segue very nicely from Sarah's. It's a piece that was on the Salon.com website this week, which rejoices in the gruesome headline, There Will Be Bedlam. The Global Energy Crisis is Only Just Beginning. Oh, but, it's a, but it's a great overview. I need to start using that kind of thing for editorial headlines. Sorry. Uh, it's by Michael T. Clare, a professor of world strategic studies at Amherst, whose whole area of academic interest is the geopolitical connection between uh, the resource sector and world politics. And it's a very grim read about, you know, the apocalypse that comes at the end of all this. Uh, but a fascinating thing that really puts what's happening in Alberta in this whole larger context of what's happening in Brazil and what's happening in North Dakota and what's happening in Russia and in Venezuela and in Saudi Arabia. And if you want to understand that this is not just our problem and not just Newfoundland's problem, that this is uh, something that's shaking the world, it's a, it's a great overview. What about you, Marion? What have you got? Oh, a little, <laughs> bit, a little bit of her hosting there coming out. Okay, so so in Friday's paper, I have a story about the Thorhild County Council, which found itself in some trouble with the Municipal Affairs Ministry uh, in Alberta. And as a result of some issues with how that council was running things, has had um, its reeve and two councillors fired. Um, or dismissed. So that reminded me of a piece that um, Jason Markasoff of McLean's Magazine wrote um, for that uh, publication on March 4th and it's called Alberta Town Councils Crack Down on Badly Behaving Mayors um, and it's a, it's a very fun read about sort of the dynamics that go on uh, in some of these small town councils which uh, over the years there have been, uh, you know, this isn't the first time uh, councillors have been dismissed in a town, it's happened before uh, there, there's been a whole town that was once dissolved, New Sarepta um, so it, it's, a, it's quite an interesting read and uh, a bit of insight into sort of how these things are run um, it's a lot of fun. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we'll be uh, sure to post all those links online, of course. And that's a wrap on this episode of the Press Gallery. You can find this episode and an archive of past editions on the website at edmontonjournal.com opinion. You can also listen to us via TuneIn Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you do like us, give us a review on iTunes. We'd love that. Uh, and if you subscribe, a fresh edition of the Press Gallery will be delivered right to you as soon as we have it ready. Thank you to Sarah and Paula and to our videographer, Greg Southam, for coming in this week. And of course, thank you all for listening. I'm Miriam Ibrahim, and we'll be back next week in the Press Gallery.